All right, this is Greg Kimball, and I'm going to kick off this mini-series of how I got from there to here. What is from there to here? From there to here is from Arizona to Colorado. I originally intended this series to be a five-part series, but it has expanded into a six-part series because there is just too much story to tell. This mini-series, this six-part mini-series, is going to be called The Homeless Millionaire. Now, am I a millionaire? By some people's standards, maybe I am. By other people's standards, maybe I'm not. But that is not the focus of this mini-series. The focus of this mini-series is to tell you a story, to chronicle a journey of how I got from there to here. Now, it could be from homeless to being a millionaire. It could be just a simple case of moving from one state to another. It could be from moving from one mental state to another. It could be a transformational journey of spiritual growth, of mental growth, of self-help, motivation, inspiration, rags to riches. It doesn't really matter because this story is all of these things to me. Now, your perception is going to be your reality, so you can learn the lessons that I learned through my story, and you can apply them to your life and how it pertains to you. It could be a way to start a business. It could be a way to fail a business. It could be a way to start a marriage. It could be a way to end a marriage because the story holds all of those things as well. You can focus on all of them or you can focus on any one of them, but my hope in this story, in this journey that I am about to take you on is that you will find some nugget of knowledge in there that is going to help make your life just a little bit better. So part one of The Homeless Millionaire. Now, just to be clear, millionaire is such a stupid word these days. It's a stupid goal, and it's a stupid why of why you would get out of bed in the morning. I used to be one of these stupid people, and I used to chase money. I used to chase things, and I thought that that was the most important way of life was to acquire and collect, and it destroyed me in more ways than one. Now, this story is going to start about eight years ago. It's going to start just like many other stories, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and we fell in love, and I really did love this girl. She was just not the right love for me, especially at that time in my life. I do wish her the best, but it was a very painful, toxic relationship with so much passion and fire inside of it that all we did was fight. She was in the medical field, and I was in the karaoke entertainment field, and we fought constantly because we had not only different cultures, but we had different times that we were awake and we wanted to do things and we wanted to experience one another in our relationship. Now, as you can imagine with me being in the entertainment business, uh, production in bars, being karaoke, trivia, DJ, all that good stuff, I would get home at three, four o'clock in the morning and then need to unwind. And then unfortunately, that would mean that I'm going to play video games or watch TV until about 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. And then I would get out of bed at about 5. Well, unfortunately, she was in the medical field and she would want to get in bed and out of bed at the exact opposite time. Well, she was a very convincing person and a very demanding person. And she would get very mad if I was not going to, on my days off, get in bed when she got in bed, which unfortunately would mean that I just basically set up a laptop right next to the bed, and I would lay in bed for hours upon hours upon hours on end until she would get up for work and I would still be awake. One of these nights at about, say, 10 o'clock, maybe 11, I was about four hours into one of these 
binge watching of shows, I realized that I just cannot take this anymore. This is not who I am. I'm not having any fun. Now, don't get me wrong. When we were allowed to have fun on the weekends, we would have a lot of fun. We did have a lot of good times. But our boring times were the most boring of my life, and our bad times were probably the worst of my life. And when I realized that this was just not for me and I couldn't take it one second longer, I got out of bed. I sprang out of bed and I said, I'm done. I'm going home. And this is the end of who we are. Now, of course, someone in love, and don't get me wrong, I was in love too. She didn't take that very well. As I'm walking out the door, she jumps on my back and I proceed to call her the worst backpack ever because she would not get off of me. I finally broke free, ran home, locked the door, and wondered what in the heck did I just do? Because this was a passionate enough love to where I was really wondering, is this the person that I'm going to end up with? Is this someone that I am going to marry? Because we had talked about it. We'd been together for about a year and a half. And the emotions were extremely high. And of course, I get home, I lock the door, and she comes screeching up and she's pounding on the door, screaming, we were supposed to get married. We were supposed to be forever. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. And I, of course, relented and I opened the door and we hugged. And then unfortunately, I told her, look, I cannot do this anymore. We are not right for each other. And we should both be able to come to that realization. And for about three weeks, it was the hardest time in my life. And I was running the karaoke business, and I was out singing every night, and I was definitely drinking my feelings away, and I was making some very questionable decisions. And I was doing what every man does when they're going through heartache, is hide it. Don't deal with it. Don't actually look at any of the emotion that's going on. Bury it down deep and create a ton of baggage. Well, the problem with creating so much baggage that is so emotionally charged, when you are missing something in your life, when you have created, for all intents and purposes, a hole in your life, something that you miss incredibly, you try to fill that hole as fast as possible. And of course, the first girl that showed interest and I thought was reasonably attractive, I had this bag that was emotionally charged, and I put it in front of her, and I said, will you hold this? Now, what I did was essentially just transfer all of that emotional baggage and everything that I was going through onto her. And I was trying to make her fill the hole that was left in my life. But the unfortunate thing is I'm transferring all of my emotional energy, all of the emotion that I have been wanting to either receive or give someone to her. But the problem is, is all of the emotional energy that I have and have created and need to give somewhere, put somewhere, I built with someone else. But I'm trying to give her the emotional energy that I built with my last relationship. Now, that's not fair to her. That's not fair to me because it is doomed from the inception. So when we fell in this infatuation stage and we were both on basic rebounds from very serious relationships, we made the worst decision of both of our lives and we decided to get married. And this was not a magical fairy tale. This was not something where I got down on one knee, she got down on one knee. We basically were sitting at a restaurant one day, lonely as hell, and we had finally found someone who would listen to us and we thought gave us love, enough love to fill the holes that were in our hearts. And we just decided to get married. We went to the courthouse a few days later and we were married. 
Now, I remember my father very clearly telling me, Greg, this is a bad idea. This is very, very easy to get into, and it is very, very hard to get out of. I had no idea how right he was. I had no idea what I was getting into. Realistically, I had no idea who I was at that moment, and I was grasping for anyone and anything to help me identify who I was, who I am, who I could be, who I wanted to be. I was lost. I was lost and I was scared. And I remember my dad looking at me with this certain look that I had just never seen before. And it was at that moment where I really asked myself, have I made a mistake? Now, the answer is yes and no. I am one of those people who think that if you are going to make decisions in life and you're going to own your life, then own your life. And it is the thing that is going to create the armor to prepare you to be who you are supposed to be. So do I regret marrying her? No, I do not. Do I think that it was a wise decision in one of my finer moments? Absolutely not. I think it was just part of my journey to make me who I am today. Now, diving in and expanding on what happened in my first marriage, we left the courthouse, a newly married couple who did not know anything about one another. And we went and had dinner with her friends and family. After we had dinner at P.F. Chang's, we uh, got on a plane and flew to Denver, where my mom picked us up and drove us to Wyoming. And it was the very first time that my mom had met my new wife. And it was a very interesting experience, to say the least, because my mom had no idea who I was, let alone this person, because who she raised was not a person who would make this decision. So my mom is very confused, and she's trying very hard to not make it awkward. She's trying to get to know this person, but as my mom is trying to get to know my new wife, I'm realizing I'm also getting to know my new wife. And I start becoming pretty scared about what I have just done. And it was not until I got to Wyoming and I walked into my parents' cabin with my new wife, and my dad would not even acknowledge me. He tried his best to not just be disappointed, but he couldn't hide it. He was distant. He wasn't the same. Now, my dad is a very funny guy, very witty guy, and he will always have kind of a sparkle in his eye, and it was not there. He was sad. He was disappointed, and I could tell that he was scared for me. But he came around, and he really tried to make nice and get to know my wife, as did I, unfortunately. But I realized being in Wyoming, being back in Wyoming, after probably not visiting my home for four years, five years, my wife does not understand Wyoming. She makes fun of where I'm from. She doesn't get it. And I realized, wow, we are so much further apart than I thought that we were. And I become more scared about what I have just done. But I've always told myself, you know what, if I get married, I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to make it work. And so I really try to be the hopeless romantic and I try to learn who this person is that I have just binded myself to for what was supposed to be eternity. And as that fact became more and more clear to me, I became more and more scared because, again, we were just not meant to be. And it took me a while to realize that that's okay. 
Because when you're a small child and you say, you know what, when I get married, it's going to be real. When I get married, it is going to be forever. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so that's that's what I did. I I started really trying to be a good husband and I started trying to build a life. So we left Wyoming after one of the most awkward exchanges with my parents that I've ever had. And we get back to Phoenix and we realize that we have the tall order of trying to build a life together. Two very separate lives, two very different people. So we begin and embark on this journey. The first journey is to try to figure out where in the heck are we going to live? I mean, she lives at home with her mom and I live with my best friend, Mark, who has been a rock and a staple in my entire life and existence since he came into it. I owe him a lot. I love him with all of my heart. He was one of the people when I told him I am going to get married, will you please come to my engagement party? We are going to get engaged. We're going to throw a party and all of our friends are supposed to be very excited. This was before we went to Wyoming and Mark refused to show up. He said, you are being stupid. You are on the rebound and I am not going to take part in a bad decision. I hope that you can take this as a lesson and maybe you can rethink what you're about to do. Now, we all know the story. I did not rethink what I am about to do, but nonetheless, I went ahead and I did what I did. Now, I lived with Mark and we were trying to figure out, is she going to come in and live with me or are we going to go get another house? No one really has any or enough money to live by themselves. So I'm talking with their family one night and her mom comes up with the idea, hey, you know what? We are a little behind on our house payment. So she proposes that we bring the house payment current because they were going to move out anyway because it had gotten a bit more expensive than they had anticipated. This is in the 2008 timeframe. And uh, they were going to downsize anyway. So instead of letting the house just go into foreclosure, they said, bring us current, just pay me the mortgage and uh, I'll send it off to the bank. And then when everything gets paid off, I'll just give the house over to uh, you and my daughter. And I said, well, actually, this is probably the best shot that we have because at this time, I was actually in the process of getting sued for $2 million by a company called Sleptone Entertainment. Um, I was a karaoke entrepreneur and I had shows all over the Phoenix area. And how I got into the karaoke business was I was a, a regular at many karaoke places in Phoenix. And I had made very good friends with uh, one of the karaoke jockeys. And I wanted to do a private party for somebody. And I needed a bunch of karaoke songs. And I said, hey, man, can I borrow one of your systems? And he says, man, all my systems are out being used, but why don't you just copy this hard drive and you can go do the show? Because I had all of the, the sound gear to do it. I just didn't have the karaoke software or the songs. Well, the show went off without a hitch. Everyone loved it. I'm a pretty dang good singer, so, and I'm a, a, a good personality to host a show. So um, I said, man, maybe I can do this. So I call my friend up and I say, hey, man, would you be opposed to me, since Phoenix is a huge area, can, can I'm going to start my own karaoke company. And he goes, yeah, go ahead, man. There's plenty of fish out there. And so I started it up and I just, the company blows up. But unfortunately, what I did was copy the hard drive, copy the hard drive, copy the hard drive on all the different systems. And at sometimes I'd have 10 different systems at 10 different bars on one night. And I became probably the 
one of the biggest karaoke hosts, most in-demand hosts, and probably one of the biggest karaoke companies in all of Phoenix. And we did weddings and we did DJ events and average production company on the on the lower end of things in bars and smaller gigs and events. And unfortunately, being so big and I was up to making probably $16,000 a week, I was a very big target because none of the songs that I owned was legal. And so many other people were doing things like this. The karaoke companies were forced to take legal action. And because I am a very loud individual and my marketing escapades were very, very, very prevalent and in the news, um, I was a target. I was a big target. I was one of 17 people who got the book thrown at them. And because the the case crossed state lines. I mean, the company was out of North Carolina and I was in Arizona. It was a federal case. So I was in the process of representing myself in federal court. And I wasn't smart with money just because I was making a ton of it. Didn't mean I saved any of it. And when I got sued and it was in the newspaper and on the news, I lost every single one of my accounts. So my cash flow went from $16,000 a week to $0 a week. And a lot of paychecks that I had to pay my hosts were bouncing. So now I'm losing my company. I'm getting sued for $2 million. I have zero cash flow. I'm married with someone I don't know. And I mean, this was the company that was taking me away from the girl who I was in love with that for all intents and purposes, I was in this marriage because I was trying to fill the void that she left. And I'm losing everything. I don't know who the heck I am. I don't know what I'm going to do. So having zero safety net in my life. Any stability in my life is non-existent. So the idea of owning a home and putting down roots is so attractive to me. So I don't have quite enough money to catch them up on all of the late payments that they were back. So I go to Mark and I say, hey man, let's move into this house. I can own the house. It's going to be a good deal. I'm going to need to borrow some money from you. If you can help me out, maybe six months of what you're going to be paying in rent. If you can give me all of that in advance, it could be enough to secure this opportunity. And I know that if I'm getting sued for $2 million, there's no way I'm going to be able to get approved for a house. So this is, in my mind, the only opportunity I have to create some sort of life, put down roots, and have some stability. Mark reluctantly gives me the money. He moves in with me, and we begin to start our life. And I build a studio in there because I say, okay, well, you know what? The entertainment business just did not work out for me. I'm going to go back to the studio game. And I built a studio in my house. That's something that I think I've done in every single house I've ever had. And I build a studio in there and I begin ramping up so that I can really build who I am going to be as a producer, an entrepreneur. And I, and I really pull out all the stops. I use every dime that I can get my hands on to build this studio. And about three months into owning this house. I am proud of it. We overhaul a lot of the things. We do a lot of decorating. We do a lot of maintenance and we do a lot of upgrades and we do just a lot of things to make it our home. And I'm finally so excited about life again. And I'm thinking that I have a, a path. I'm, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing the American dream. And then... A knock at the door. And it's a representative from Countrywide Mortgage who tells me, you have never paid your mortgage since you've lived here. <laughs> 
I said, well, I, I, I gave it to my mother-in-law. You guys are eight months past due and this house has already been foreclosed on. You need to get out of here right now. Here's your notice. And at that moment, I had 30 days to get out of a house that I had just spent every penny that I had on and every labor hour that I could come up with and any friends coming over to help build this studio. And it was a pretty studio. It was a beautiful studio. And just as I had restarted my life and I felt good about my path, I was back to square one. And at that moment, I was so fed up and I was so mad because I realized what had happened. I had given all of the money to my mother-in-law. She never paid the mortgage with it. She used it to get her new house. And I was fed up. And I said, you know what? Phoenix has nothing more to offer me. I cannot do this. I will not do this anymore. I looked at my wife and I said, if you want to come, you can. I looked at Mark, if you want to come, you can. I threw anything that would fit in my vehicle at the time. And I said, I am moving to Denver, Colorado. And at that moment, I packed it as much as I possibly could. I mean, I beat the game of Tetris fitting stuff into my car. And I began my journey to Colorado. I got in my car and I just left. I left Arizona behind and just threw caution to the wind and took a chance with no money, with no job waiting for me, with no opportunity. I didn't know anybody there. I knew I was headed for homelessness. After just leaving what I thought was going to be my roots and my first home, I truly looked at homelessness as an opportunity, as something that could make my dreams come true. You know, John Mayer said, mistakes are just the exhaust of dreams. And I didn't know what my dream was. I was still finding myself. But I knew at that moment, I was done with Phoenix and I needed a change of scenery. So I got in the car, I turned on the engine, and I headed for Colorado. This has been the Final Percent Podcast with Greg Kimball. This is the miniseries, The Homeless Millionaire. And this is part one of six. We're going to pick up tomorrow with me being in the car coming into Colorado, one of the most crazy, tumultuous, dot-connecting experiences of my entire life. And I want to show you how I went from being homeless in Colorado to having a 25,000 square foot facility. And thank you so much for taking the journey with me and going the final percent with me. I appreciate you guys. And for anyone interested in this story, I just, I appreciate you. And I know I say that a lot, but I really do mean that. And it means the world that you guys can learn anything from what I've gone through. This is my story. I'm Greg Kimball, and thank you so much. I will see you tomorrow.